Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Hey guys, Texas Slim here, Texas Slim's vision. Today is May 31st, last day of May of 2022. Uh, it's been a pretty interesting journey up to here this this year of 2022 and even uh, the fall and winter of last year. By saying that there's somebody that I went up to at a farmer's market one day in the town that I grew up with in, and um, I actually met this guy and his name is Justin Trammell and he is on our podcast today. And he was one of the very first producers that I had on the podcast. How are you doing today, Justin? I'm doing pretty good ever itself. You're doing well. Um, sounds like you're right in the middle of the mix there. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> it's good to see you. Uh, you, you know, we've, we've come a long ways in a short period of time. You've, uh, you've had some interesting things kind of finally happen this year for you. Uh, one of the first podcasts we were talking about is, you know, you're developing, you know, um, a plan to open up your own processing facility up here in the Texas panhandle. Um, for those, everybody that, that, that have not met just Justin. Justin Trammell is uh, he's a um, basically, you know, you've been here your whole life in the Texas Panhandle. You you come from it. Your ancestors basically have been doing regenerative farming and ranching, you know, for decades. Your your uh, grandfather helped run the stockyards in Amarillo, Texas, for decades. So by saying that, let's let's let everybody kind of know who you are, um, where you've come from, and then where you're standing right now within your your business, your lifestyle that you've uh, accomplished this past year. Yeah, you bet. Well, I'm Justin, and uh, I've grown up here in Amarillo, uh, Texas, pretty much all my life. I've done a little bit of traveling, but I've always uh, enjoyed this area. It's a very unique area, and it's an area with a lot of potential, I think. And, and hopefully, you know, I can kind of be one of the things that helps unlock that potential for the future. So I grew up here uh in agriculture, my dad always took care of cattle. He always worked at feed yards or livestock auctions up in Amarillo or Atulia. And then we also took care of wheat pasture cattle. And so I got to grow up doing that. And, uh, of course, I grew up, you know, the, the normal farm style. We didn't have money for any of the nice stuff. So we always had secondhand stuff or stuff that we kind of clobbered together. And so I got to learn a lot of good skills and uh, welding and fence building and construction and just a, just about the best curriculum you could ask for if you're uh, looking to be a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of thing. You okay there, bud? You all right? Yeah. Oh, I got choked up. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, so, uh, you know, I grew up doing that my entire life. And, uh, and then I went to WT and I got a degree in wildlife biology. And, uh, I, uh, while, while there, I really focused on the intersection of wildlife and agriculture because the wildlife side always said that agriculture was the worst thing, you know, possible. And the, the, uh, agriculture side always said that wildlife was the worst thing possible. And so, you know, I, the, the way that I grew up, you know, I got to chase lizards and catch bugs and explore prairie dog town and just do all sorts of stuff while, you know, taking care of animals. And so. I just thought, well, that can really be right. And so in college, I was lucky enough to get hooked up with uh, the Ogallala Commons. And so through them, I was actually able to start exploring this kind of uh, regenerative ag kind of thing and actually find people that were making an actual living at food production and more pursuing that kind of family farm thing. Right that uh i was really interested in whenever i was a kid but everybody told me for one reason or another you know well that's just not possible anymore on both sides of my family i had family farms on my great grandparents side and i actually got spent a lot of time as a kid up at my great grandma's farm on my mom's side and so that always fascinated me so 
luckily through the Oglala Commons and everything else that I got involved with, I was able to find that that's actually something that's viable. And then I kind of just jumped off into it. And I started with chickens and then I moved to added pigs and then I added uh, sheep and then I worked with my dad with, with cattle. And I just started doing direct to consumer farmers market sales for the most part. And uh, I did that starting in 2014. And then uh, let's see, as, as I got more into the processing side, as far as having to build a little facility for doing custom exempt chickens, and then of course, trying to find spots for my hogs and my sheep and that kind of stuff. Um, I noticed that there was a big issue with having the availability to actually get something processed because in order to legally sell something, you have to get it processed at a state or a federal inspected uh, processing plant. And there's not many of those in the Texas Panhandle. And the ones that are here were always very booked up. So at the most, I could get maybe two or three spots for my animals at a time. And then, of course, there'd be a long wait time behind that. You know, I might have two or three spots, but it, they were four to six months out. Sure. And then whenever COVID hit, and that took that wait time from four to six months out to more like a year, year and a half to two years out at the worst of it. And so with, you know, luckily right before COVID hit, uh, my dad and I, kind of decided that we needed to open our own processing facility. That way we could control the quality of the, the cuts on our meat. We could have the availability we needed to actually process our animals on the right time frames and not have to hold animals for a really long time or take animals before they were ready. And so it took me about the better part of two years to get through the all the regulatory stuff because it well for really for all of it but especially on the texas side there was no one resource or one entity i could go to and say hey i want to open a processing facility what do i need to do to be compliant right there's there's a few of them and i would get bits and pieces from different agencies but there's not just one resource that can give you oh yeah here's everything you need to look at whenever you do that so it took a pretty good long time trying to figure out exactly what I had to have, but we finally figured it out. We finally got our processing facility built. Um, to uh, get open, you actually have to pass inspection to start with. Sure. And so the first ins- the first inspection that we had, uh, it was it was quite hostile, and it was very confusing and and pretty unprofessional. Really, whenever you get down to it. And so it left us pretty confused because it took months to get them out there. And then they just failed us and said, well, we'll be back probably in a month, but it could be long. Right. So in that month I had, I gathered all the resources I could between the farm ranch freedom Alliance with Judith McGreary, the Ogallala commons. I, I reached out to as many people as I could trying to figure out, okay, what did we do wrong here? You know, I thought we had covered every possible base. What What's going on here? How do we make this thing work? And so by reaching out and using all these different connections I'd made, I actually was able to then on the second inspection, turn that around 180 degrees and we passed with flying colors. And so then we were finally able to get open. We started custom uh, uh, slaughter on the 14th of January. And then we, uh, did uh let's see i guess we got our state stamp probably about six weeks ago now maybe mm-hmm. closer to eight yeah but but yeah so i think well, i mean that's a that's a pretty short version yeah, of it but. yeah i mean there's a lot to unpack there uh there's there's many things that people don't understand about uh basically farming and ranching and bringing stuff to you know creating a market access and you know having the processing centers basically be a bottleneck for for the producer themselves what we are up against in this country right now is 85 percent of our our animal protein is actually processed by global corporations that are not 
even, uh, you know, American corporations. Uh, so 85% of our animal pro- uh, uh, protein in this nation would um, basically – they're the ones that give us permission to eat. They're the ones that give permission to the producers to be able to harvest that animal. Whenever they have that much control over the processing of that animal and the market access, then what we're doing is we're creating a bottleneck to uh, actually having market access to pure animal protein in a way that our grandparents did and everything. People have heard me say that many, many times. Uh, a lot of people do not understand the whole, um, the food industry as a whole. One thing that you have done by by um, opening up your processing center, going through the process, getting your state certifications, getting the USDA, you know, uh, requirements and regulations, you know, in a way that you did pass those inspections, what you're basically doing, and you've said this from the very beginning, is that you want to feed your community within a 60-mile radius. And so your business model and your lifestyle and everything that you do, your the intentionality that you bring to this ag space in the Texas panhandle is basically you're feeding your family first and then you're feeding the local community around you. What you've done is, you know, within the Ogallala Commons, a lot of people have heard us talk about them as well as the organizations themselves, is one of their their ways that they um, move forward is they create food sheds. Um, you're now with Panhandle Meats here in the Texas Panhandle, you've created a food shed. And whenever people go out and shake your hand, they know that they're going to be able to have market access to that pure animal protein because you're doing lamb, you're doing fowl, you're doing uh, hog and you're doing beef. Uh, so every one of those touch points of that pure animal protein, you're na- now able to provide. You cut out all the middlemen that have been making money off of your hard work after you being the producer, the the land, uh, the land tools in which you use to basically regrow soil and to become a you know a true regenerative uh, grass farmer, like you like to say, you know you are a grass farmer, and by doing that vertical integration into the soil all the way into market access, you're feeding a community and you don't have to ask permission anymore. You've done all the legwork, you've gone through all the protocols, you've passed the inspections, and now you are more sovereign than you've ever been as far as a producer, a processor, a supplier. You are the leading of the market access. I just bought, what was it, a full cow from you that I did with a, a couple yeah. of friends. And so every one of them, now they have their freezers full. Uh, I gave that quarter of a uh, cow to my father, feeding my family uh first and i did it within what you and i are probably 20 miles away from each other at tops less than that actually it's probably about 12 so it's so easy and it, it, it is it is actually a good thing to do like how many people come out to you every day and pick up a quarter of a cow a half a cow let's go through that process of basically you know how 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 does that process work i'm gonna call justin up and i want i want some beef (laughs) what do we do well, it kind of depends on what people are looking for. We actually have some um, quarters and stuff already ready to go. Right. Uh, that way, uh, you know, because there's some people that just don't know really what cuts they would want anyway. So we do have a default cut sheet that we do. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, provides a good selection of basically all all the normal cuts. And it's 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 a really good way for people to get their foot wet if if they're not if they've never actually bought that kind of bolt before. Right. Uh, but people are also more than welcome to call us and, you know, we can get them hooked up with an animal and uh, actually cut it the way they want it to. You know, most of the animals, depending on if they want a grass or a grain finished animal, the grass finished animals, once they're killed, they hang in the aging cooler for about 10 to 14 days. The grain finished animals, you're looking at more like that 21 day age on them. So your figure after the animals, uh, harvested you're looking at two to three weeks and so then after that the animals cut and then it's uh frozen and ready to be picked up sure and a lot of people don't you know whenever you buy in bulk like that uh, a lot of people the first question i always get people i i didn't know there's going to be so much uh burger <laughs> so you, <laughs> you definitely you know it, it educates it's like okay not the cow is more than just a a, a ribeye or a t-bone or a new york strip oh, yeah. but what happens there is people learn how to be educated on the cuts of the cow and what kind of you know having this type of market access they become educated on the different types of 
um, product that they can have that they've never, you know, you'll, ne- you'll never see in a supermarket just by understanding and educating the different, uh, you know, cuts of the cow that you, you're able to plan out meals for your family. You're able to plan out, you know, a more of a uh, structured food supply for yourself. And you have a lot more food security than most people do right now. People don't want to go to the grocery store and buy uh, half a cow's worth of beef at the grocery store. And I think that that's becoming more and more prevalent in our society that, you know, our food security is being in question right now. And from the very beginning, my my mantra is to go up and shake a rancher's hand, get to know them and say, hey, you know, would you please educate me? Would you let me know why you do what you do? And you, I think that a lot of people in our in our surrounding community, you have had no problem getting to where you are right now. I mean, you're hitting on all cylinders. You had to go through the process. You're there. But now what you're doing is you're educating your local community in a way that most people aren't. And so there's so much value for what you're doing. And it really is because you are an educator. You do give speeches. You know, you go you go to different types of food summits with the Ogallala Commons. Um, you know, they, they I think I, you did get a scholarship through them, didn't you? Through the Ogallala Commons. Looks like we lost Justin. You still there, Justin? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we lost, your, we lost your video. Audio is okay. doing something weird. Ah, there you are. Not a problem. It's the internet. It happens. <laughs> but uh, as but, far as the Ogallala Commons, you know, you you basically you are an educator right now. It is something that you do. Uh, you 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 had a good roadmap within the Ogallala Commons. Let's talk about that. Yeah, with the with the Ogallala Commons, you know, they're, they're really focused on revitalizing these small town communities, and. Uh, a big part of that is trying to show that there are opportunities in these small town communities, but oftentimes you kind of have to have an entrepreneurial mindset in order to really address them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, that's, you know, I got hooked in with them actually start, start to start with, uh, I was helping them do water and wildlife education. So education about playa lakes and why they're important and why they're important for the aquifer. And the fact that that's the only way we recharge our aquifer. And uh, so I, I started there. And then after, you know, several internships uh, and they kind of figured out that, oh, well, well, this guy's interested in food production. Then they got me uh, hooked up with the right people and the right uh, organizations that then allowed uh, for me to pursue this. And, uh, you know, the OC, we, we've uh, helped people pursue careers and all sorts of stuff from healthcare to accounting to uh just about everything in between right yeah it it is broad i mean in a lot of nobody's really heard of the ogallala commons and what it is it's a community-based system uh the beef initiative is definitely talking about you know how do we uh, hyper localize our communities again this is where we came from you know this is how our grandfathers stewarded the land this is how they stewarded the animals this is how they stewarded market access for their community um you're you're having a lot of good success i want to go into something that you and i have been working on together we're kind of moving forward and we're, we're, we're shaping it up into something that we're going to be able to provide to people that are trying to open up processing centers in the state of Texas. You and I are working together, of course. We have other people that we're working with. But one thing that you run into is a, is a smaller microprocessor, somebody that's trying to do what you've accomplished, is it is so detached, like you brought up earlier. It's like, what are we doing wrong as far as these inspections? What have we done wrong within our facility? What did we do wrong with the uh, wastewater, the, you know, the wastewater plan, the HACCP plan. Let's go straight into what a HACCP plan is and why basically a lot of people start there, but they don't have much success whenever they develop their own HACCP plan. Let's educate people on what a HACCP plan is. Yeah, well, a HACCP plan is really, the, the idea of it's a really good idea. It's, it's a plan that's meant to focus on food safety and best practices and uh, the best ways to prevent any kind of extra contamination and basically provide the most wholesome product possible. Now, saying that and actually writing one are two very different things because you can't just 
go off and say, oh, okay, well, I, I think I could do this, this, and this. It's actually a plan that has to be supported by scientific studies, and you have to have very solid basis to why you're going to do the things that you're going to do. Now, they can be as complicated as you want them to be, or they can be as simple as they want, as you want them to be. But really, they have to be tailored to each and every facility. You can't just have a HACCP plan that's a blanket HACCP plan for every facility um, because every facility is built different. Every facility is going to run a little different. And so uh, people get into a lot of trouble with that, um, especially if they hire somebody to do a HACCP plan that never actually comes out to see their facility. Uh, then oftentimes you're getting into a situation where they're just giving you a blanket HACCP plan. And, and while the bones of it might be there, what actually, what actually needs to be in it is not there. And oftentimes that will be a big hangup if you're trying to pass any kind of inspections. Let's stop there real quick. One reason you're not going to do that because a lot of these people that do these inspections, their, their, their inspections are always usually geared towards much bigger facilities. And so the scalability of going up and down within within the inspection system in the state of Texas itself, and especially within the USDA itself, there's a lot of little tricks in there. I don't want to say tricks, but I just said tricks. There's a lot of little things that happen within that lack of scalability of understanding how to pass an inspection based on the size. Like you're, let's say you're between twenty and thirty um, animals a week, correct? Yep. That's what you're geared towards doing. Well, you might have an inspector where he's going out and inspecting the plant that's going to be 500 to 5,000 a week. And so whenever you look at that facility, it's going to be a little bit different from sanitation to showers to, you know, um, the, the pitch of a floor, you know, for the wastewater. You know, there's so many little things that they can get hung up on that will you've put in a million dollars. You put in two million dollars. You put in two years worth of work that they can come in there and say, uh, uh, sorry, your wastewater program, it's its not up to par. It's not that it's not up to par. It's just that they don't know how to inspect it down to par to your level mm -hmm. of being a processing center. And that's thats thats something that's not widely known. You and I have identified this. We've had those conversations. And so moving forward, what we're going to do within the Beef Initiative Association Advisory Council is we're going to be able to advise you on, hey, how do you approach this asset plan? And we're going to be able to do that across the nation. We'll start in Texas, of course, but you and I have in once again, other people are moving forward with this education before you even go into trying to do a processing center in the state of Texas or any other state. Let's look down. Let's sit at the table. Let's see what we know that you need to be very aware of. And now let's write that asset plan. It's not a one size fits all. It really isn't. And people can go out there and they can spend $30,000 on this asset plan and they can be left dead in the water and you see it every day and that a lot of times they they stop or they don't understand that they've got their facility built and all of a sudden they they're they failed one inspection they've failed two inspections they don't know what to do or they get halfway with their facility built and then all of a sudden they're dead in the water because they've overspent. They didn't see these things coming forward. So being able to be that consultant, that educator and that advisory advisory person, I think that's something that's going to open up a lot of eyes. We're going to be able to really let people know there is a protocol to step into this. There is a way to approach this. We have connections. You, you brought up Judith with the Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance. There's other people in the in the association that we've built that they have USDA precedents for the last 40 years of building facilities. Mm -hmm. Your facility now has uh, has precedents in the state of Texas. And once you have that precedence, you're able to reflect on that saying, well, I built it just like uh, Panhandle Meats in the Texas Panhandle. What did we do wrong? And they will not be able to really look at that and say, well, you're, you're not following the rules. Well, actually, we do have precedents here. And so we have a lot more leverage now than we've ever had within being able to move forward with these minor pro micro processing centers across the state of Texas. From the very beginning, you and I said, we want to, we want one processing center in every county in the state of Texas. That's 254 counties, I believe. Um, it's starting to happen. And once we go through, and I think you told me that you had somebody that wants to build at least 10 processing uh, facilities in Texas right now. Why don't you yeah, elaborate on that talks. type of, what's the, what's the demand that you're getting now that you've had 
had the success? How many people are coming through you now saying, hey, would you help me out? I've got quite a few that have <clears throat> approached me, uh, you know, and then, and then there's several that have approached me and said, hey, we, we're really interested in this, but we just don't know. And, you know, I think they're just trying to wait and see how we do and everything else. But uh, regardless, um, you know, I'll, I'll end up with a, a product that's going to be an entire product, you know, because mm -hmm. it'll it'll include the HACCP plan, like we mentioned, and it'll have the blueprints, it'll have the logs, it'll have every single thing that I spent hours and hours and hours and hours developing. And it, as opposed to having to spend somebody or spend money in somebody's time reinventing the wheel, we can just take that base plan and let people run with it. So then they're not just spinning their wheels. They're able to take that, start construction, know that they have a solid plan, know that they have another facility that can back them up. That just like you said, I can say, well, we've been open now for however many months we've not had any issues with this this is the reason we've set this up like that um you know this is why the HACCP plan is written like it is uh this is why this 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 part of the facility is designed like it is and we should be able to have a turnkey kind of thing for people very shortly something that would be a way different caliber of product than even just a HACCP plan yeah, and what's what's really cool about this, and it's it has happened holistically and everything. It's just you and I having conversations. You brought up uh, Judith with the Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance. She's you know she's an attorney, right? And then um, we also have uh, a law firm that has reached out to us and saying, "Hey, we're going to help you out just because we we know the plight and we know what's going on as far as not having you know that type of uh, facilitation of a processing plant from ground up." And so we're having people do pro bono work for us and we're, we're, we're getting people that are coming along and, you know, building out that model. And it is a model. And, you know, from your second inspection, you know, you, you passed a misery or you, you failed and they did it in a hostile way on your first inspection Well, your second inspection, you had basically you had one person for each inspector, you, uh, you had, you had somebody taking notes. They were following around the inspectors. You have everything on video. Uh, we had one of the, one of the, um, major, I guess, top three, pro, uh, inspectors in the state of Texas came to your, uh, inspection. He gave a little speech, got that on video. He said, Hey, we mm -hmm. need to have, this needs to happen across the state of Texas. And so we have this, we're going to play their game and we're going to know the rules and the laws. Basically you, especially right now, in a lot of ways, we know the law better than the law knows itself. Not saying anything against people in these positions. It's just that the scalability one, once again, hasn't been there in the last 50 years of evolution into where we are, where these huge processing centers have gotten to where they control 80, 85% of our processing and packing in the United States. We're just learning and how to scale it backwards, how to educate as we're doing it, to build these apprentice programs for other people, to give this education. And it's not something that we're asking for permission to, it's just that we have precedence. So why would we not box that into something and give it to everybody out there that's trying to do this in their in their community right now to so where they can have your business model, maybe it is 60 mile radius that they're able to give market access to. So by saying all of that, it's something that is that you're setting a you're setting a standard right now. You're becoming an authority that your our grandparents were an authority. And a lot of people don't realize that this is how it used to be done. This is exactly how a lot of us were raised. And with saying that. What my mission is within the beef initiative is especially working with you, but it's, I'm going to be hitting the road uh, actually today and it's called the Texas to Tennessee tour. And, you know, I'm going to be talking to our attorneys in Tennessee. Um, I'm going to have some 
definitely, uh, I'm going to be speaking at three to four right now. I've got about eight to nine destinations uh, between um, the Bitcoin community, the the great Bitcoin community that's really helping out the regenerative farmer and rancher. But I'm also going to go shake ranchers' hands, and I'm going to be able to tell them your story. I'm going to be able to give them some hope and some direction. And, you know, this is going to pick up steam. I mean, we've been waiting for you and I half a year to be able to have this conversation that we're having today. And, you know, one thing that I, I look at it is it's a way that you're going to be able to monetize and actually leverage your own um, regenerative model, your processing, everything that you're doing as far as your business model. Now you get to actually monetize and get another base layer value, your store value that you can kind of become that educator that you've always been. But now we're just going to do it in a formal way. No, I'm really looking forward to it, you know, and and uh, it's it's definitely been a long road, but it, if I can get other people to be able to operate like that, you know, on a, on the size that we're talking, where you're talking a facility that if you had two or three or maybe even five producers going together, that would be more than enough to make that thing roll really, really well. Not to mention the, uh, you know, custom work that they could pick up. But really, it would just change the landscape of Texas as far as being able to source your food local. And anymore with, you know, unfortunately, with all the crazy stuff going on with the food supply between it being unreliable and then, you know, having the uh, disease outbreaks and that kind of stuff, it's the, the more local you can go, the better, not to mention the higher quality you're going to have and is as crazy high as everything else is getting most of us producers can be pretty competitive anymore, especially if you're buying, you know, in bulk beef. Well, it is, it's a lifestyle change. You know, it's, it's a lot more intentional. It's not random. Uh, it, and I tell everybody the beef initiative is, it, it is kind of a new international lifestyle that we're doing to where people can understand that they have a lot more empowerment now. And if you, if you kind of take a step back, you can start moving forward in a different direction. Taking a step back goes and looks at these small communities. I was talking with uh, Weldon. He's, he's, he's up in uh, or down in Lubbock uh, with Holy cow and you know he was talking with my business partner and he's saying do you know how many uh processing plants have been mothballed in the state of texas that are in these small towns in small town texas and what i see moving forward is you, you with your food shed we'll call it a food shed process uh panhandle processing panel meats processing is a food shed. What you're also doing is not only you're providing the protein, but you're inviting people in that are doing the same thing that you are doing from produce to, to whatever. Let everybody know who's coming into your food shed and that you guys are creating this collaboration to where it is, it is a, a viable source to source your protein and other products that you don't have to go to the supermarket anymore. Well, we have a little storefront at the, at the front of our processing facility. And so of course we sell our beef and then my pork and lamb and I'll have the chicken in there whenever I have it. But we also are sourcing vegetables from uh, two separate producers. We're sourcing some microgreens. We've got a source of local uh, flour that's not too far away. We've got a source of uh, dairy. So milk with the real cream and uh, yogurt that's only about an hour away. Uh, we've got, let's see, what else do we have in there? We've got marinades and salsas from Amarillo. Uh, we've got all sorts of lovely spices, and uh, spice kits and stuff that are made in Amarillo. And then we even have, we added some uh, pistachios recently. Now the closest place I could find them was Alamogordo, but that's still not too terribly far away, all things considered. So... Yeah, it's not. It's just right on the border of New Mexico. I mean, <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell everybody because you guys raise some cattle up there, and uh, your father raises cattle up in New Mexico. But it, it's close to us up here in the in the Panhandle. But what I, I I see is you know transpiring is once you know that market access is there, you don't have to ask permission. You don't have to worry about commercials. You don't have to worry about TV. You don't have to worry about that. What you do is you nurture that relationship with that producer. And that it's there. And 
whenever we can get the movement going per county, you know, there's our right now, you know, Cole down K and C cattle down in central Texas, he's going to be opening up a processing center as well. He's going to be a little bit larger than you, but you know, the population's different. So, you know, the, the geography is different. Uh, the, the type of people, you know, as far as demographics, um, you know, income levels, it's across the board. And so that's why it's fascinating that every county that you do go to across the state of Texas, each processing center is going to mirror that type of community in which you're in. That's what I love about this is that it, it doesn't have to meet a big societal and, you know, corporate type of model. It gets the model and mirror to where in which you live. And, and that's part of the lifestyle. It's like you get to, you know, you and I are going to have these little my, micro food summits. You know, Ogallala always does it, you know, does that. You and I are going to do one, you know, out in the Texas Panhandle. Maybe it's going to be out at Paladuro or somewhere like that. But we're going to bring in our local community. You know, these, these small little food summits bring the education. It brings proof of work. It brings, you know, success. It brings the failure to the, uh, the to the conversation, and the educational aspects of that is just unlimited. Um, with me going on this Texas to Tennessee tour and all the stops that I'm going to be making, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be gone for two weeks or two years right now. But one thing that we're going to do is we're going to be pointing to Colorado because we're having our Colorado. Uh, Beef Initiative Colorado Conference in Crawford, Colorado with Jason. You've seen him and heard him, of course. And I don't believe you and Jason have talked yet. I'm not for sure. But, you know, he gets to showcase everything that he's doing in Colorado. He's a first-generational farmer rancher right now. So everybody come to that the function in Colorado, it's a vacation. It's a lifestyle. It's We're going to have a three-day conference. People get to get, be educated. They get to see the local surroundings, uh, the county in which he's in. The North Fort, Fort Valley is, you know, a part of Colorado. It's it's a basin there. You know, it's got a reservoir. You know, they do irrigation, you know, from snow melt. It's, it's a fascinating um, demographic that he has going on there. Once I start traveling around the country, people are going to see that they can have their small little summits. And we're going to we're going to be doing these summits across the nation. Whenever I'm going to Tennessee, I'm stopping off in Farmington, uh, Missouri. And there's a group of guys that have basically we're calling them the, the B- Missouri uh, Beef Initiative. They reached out to me very early on. And now they're doing exactly what you're doing within your fruit shed. But they're not owning everything. They're just facilitating it. And they're letting people know and educate. You know, they're doing dairy runs. They're they're, they're, they're about to start on a processing center. They're doing the produce. They're developing their own food shed. This is catching on across the nation. And that's what the beef initiative is really about right now. It's like producing the understanding that this is possible in your, in your communities. Um, what are the big, what are the big drawbacks that you see as far as how you had to basically in the past, get people to understand that you had market access to where you are now? What do you see moving forward within being the beef initiative that it has empowered you and moving forward, how we can expand that? Well, you know, uh, back before I, I had a reliable source of processing, I would get things processed. And then like, just like the candy market that you met me at, you know, the first week or two, I would have a good stock of meat, but then I would get bought out very quickly because my customers know me well there and they know the quality of stuff I have. And then I would just kind of have to be out or very low uh, for almost the rest of the, the market season, you know, the 16 weeks, because I most likely couldn't get another processing date in there. Sometimes I could, but again, it would just be another few animals. So this time around, this will be the first year. The market actually starts the 11th of June. Um, so just a couple weekends away, but this will be the first time ever that I won't just sell out and be sold out. And so I'm really hopeful that we can get something moving because it's really, really hard to get a customer base moving like you need them to whenever um, you're just constantly out of things, you know, whenever you only have things for a very short amount of time. And so now that I actually will be able to have a pretty consistent supply, I'm, I'm very hopeful about, you know, the kind of progress we can see. Um, because then if I can get them aware of what's going on and aware of our storefront, then we can start building a, 
a customer base that's going to be here year round as opposed to just seasonal like it's been before, mostly because of the availability of stuff. And that even goes for the produce that's produced around here and everything else. Yeah. And one thing a lot of people, even the ranchers themselves, you know, this is not a competition. I mean, you're going to, you're, you're at capacity. You're going to stay at capacity. You're going to scale exactly how how you decide to scale because you're going to have that confidence that you have those customer relationships. They're never going to go back anymore to, you know, you know, the high percentage of them will never, you know, source their, their food in a different way. One thing that, you know, people need to understand is this is for everybody. This can happen across in scale and it can happen very fast. We just have to get it organized. And you say, I hope this that this does go somewhere. Well, that's where my responsibility comes in is that we show the proof of work. We show that there is a roadmap. We show that there is advising. There is consulting, that there is some, um, basically new confidence in to move forward. And it has to be grassroots. It has to be community based. We can't do this with the big marketing plan. We can't do this with, you know, mainstream media marketing and, you know, information exchange. We kind of have to fly under the radar a little bit. And that's always been something that I've always noticed that I needed to do from the very beginning is that I don't need to be very boastful about this on a broad scale. I need to go to each community and let everybody know that, hey, we have proof of work. This is where we're going. Point your compass over in this direction and we'll be able to help you right now in the chat room somebody's asking hey are you planning on coming through southeast colorado you bet let's let's create those nodes of communications let's let's say what are you doing over there in southeast colorado well what we're doing over here in the texas pando well what are they doing out here in east texas well they're doing kind of something up like this in tennessee outside of athens tennessee well guess what this guy's doing this over in uh, nevada actually and then we start building these points of communication and it's it's amazing that i'm going to be able to bring this to everybody you know in the next i don't know two weeks two months two years whatever it's going to be and everybody gets to come along it's crowdsourcing it is the grassroots it start with starting with grass fed you know and and that's something being from the texas panhandle a lot of people don't know because we do have the big major four processing centers here in, in the state in in the texas panhandle regenerative farming and ranching is not really understood because we went that route we went the big global corporation route migrant everybody had to do it right you know the last 50 years that's what they did they evolved into this model that has gotten us to where we are right now let's talk about that let's talk about the different demographics let's start with the soil and let's start with the grass where you and i live we used to have millions and millions of buffalo that you know stewarded this land they were the land tools for thousands of years before we came along you know the native americans basically that's you know, that's how they survived they 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 followed the herds the the migration of the bison uh, throughout the great plains saying that you know right now we're in a major drought it is horrible the wind's blowing it looks like the dust bowl you know but one thing it does is our society or our, our environment here the the natural grasslands is not really widely known that it, it it is hardy it is something that you can do regenerative farming and ranching in the texas panhandle even though we are the desert high plains yeah yeah for sure you know it it uh times like this make it really look bleak but if you've been you know intentional about how you've been really a grass farmer then you know you most of the time would have a, a high enough stock a high enough grass stock that you can rotate your animals around and do what you need to um you know that well just for example over there at our place in new mexico we pulled all the animals from there uh, to get that thing a rest yeah uh now i think we're going to be able to restock in august and we're going to have some of the best grass we've ever had but we were very intentional about that and we we realized that we had to do um some different things like we had to basically almost all the cattle we have right now are in pens behind the facility uh the animals that are grass finished we've been having to hay the other animals you know we've been able to feed from the feed truck but that's not cheap but in the long run it's going to be a lot cheaper to do that than if we were to just graze what pasture we have into nothing sure and this is a big thing and a lot of people don't like to talk about this there's a lot of people that are very galvanized when it comes into grass-fed grass-finished grass-fed grain-finished 
you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a, in a, in a kind of a limbo state of, I guess, you know, what's the right way? Well, this is, it's not black and white. It's something that a lot of people like you are, you know, you're phasing out, you're, you're, you really want hundred percent want to do grass fed grass finished uh, within your model itself in the Texas panhandle. Sometimes you're going to have grass fed grain finished. You're going to have different types of grains that you finish. You know, everybody wants the cleanest beef that they can get. And this is where we have to begin to educate people that what is it about, you know, chemicals, antibiotics, injections, you know, everything, the steroids, everything that they produce into these cows, how your model basically gets us away from that corporate umbrella of Bear Monsanto Cargill into a phased process to where you don't have to rely on the feeds you don't have to rely on anything else and it's a step-by-step process that happens just like you letting the grass in new mexico get to be some of the best grass in, in, in that you had in a long time well that happens in sequence that happens in sections of time and it has to be very intentional like you said do you get a lot of people that come to you saying i'm not buying your product unless you're grass-fed grass finished are you how do you approach that as the consumer and of course you as the grass farmer and the producer and the processor and the supplier oh you know we really just right now we just offer both and so far um i don't know that i've had anybody that's you know kind of not wanted to use us because we offer both i just tell people that we offer both because people have different preferences and you know i can talk to them about the differences between the two and and uh i don't speculate on anything i i stick with you know the facts that are easily provable and and so far that seems to work really really well with people Sure. I mean, uh, that quarter of a cow that we've got, I had burgers with the with dad the other day there. I mean, it's some of the best meat. You and Cole and then Jason is some of the best beef I've I've ever had. I mean, all three of you are doing it right. Um, uh, by saying that, do you have producers now? Do you have people bringing in their animals that they used to use like JBS, Cargill, National Tyson over there in that town that's close to us? Oh, we... Uh... We do actually have a, a feed yard that's been using us to process, and I think they're trying to get into selling some of their own meat. So, And then we do have a few other producers here and there um, that are using us either. You know, some of them, a lot of them are just ant- people who do a few animals a year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they've been using us, and so we've been able to ride a very high quality of cuts um, right. because, you know, we cut their animals just like we cut our animals, and so we cut them like we own them which makes big difference. Yeah, it does. So if I'm a producer, like we have a lot of small producers, some people just, you know, have a couple of cows a year. Maybe they're just doing it to feed their family or, you know, their, their extended family. Maybe they only have 10 cattle or something like that. How would you approach somebody like you just in, to generalize if I was doing 10 cattle a year, or if I wanted to do two cattle a year, how would I approach somebody like Justin and saying, Hey, would you process my animal? Can we have a relationship? Can we have a partnership? What is the protocol that you, that you go through so people can kind of start understanding, you know, this is how I'm going to start approaching these microprocessors in my community or even to you, maybe, maybe they're in their, the radius that they wouldn't mind bringing it to you. Really? I mean, just reaching out and, and, telling us what you have and what you need. And, and then we can kind of go from there. You know, a lot of what we do is education, you know, about the cuts, about the state inspection versus customs exempt about what, uh, what the different laws say about, you know, as far as how, what you can sell and how you can sell it. So, uh, you know, really we just have people call us or email us. Um, some, some people do reach out on social media, but by and large, I'd say most people call us. Mm-hmm. So, and we're happy to do that. We're happy to have people come out and see the facility before they even bring animals out if they want to, and they can see the whole thing. You know, we're not hiding anything at all. Right. Well, that's the beautiful thing about it <laughs> is that you kind of, a lot of people have never seen a cow before, you know, and, you know, in out there at your place, um, it's funny 
you know, once you go out there, uh, I talked to a young, a young man that was working for you, kind of an internship. You were trying to get him in, into an internship problem. And I want everybody to know this. And it's just kind of, cause it's, it's funny to me. It's like, we're educating the younger generation. And he came up to me one day and he said, I never knew what farm tough was. <laughs> he goes, I've heard people talk about this, but I really never knew what that meant. And I was out there with Justin the other day and he was feeding the hogs and, you know, he was carrying 70 pounds of feed, you know, in, in, in each hand. And, you know, he was just going back and forth and he was fascinated. And what I loved about that was that he had a moment of clarity as a young man that he knew that he needed to step up his game. And people that never gone out to a farm or a ranch or, you know, you know, the type of facility that you have, they really are detached from food. They really are detached from work, maybe some form of education, you know, what it takes. And, you know, that's why all of this is such a beautiful thing. And you, you and Jason and Cole, Cole comes from Texas Tech. Jason is, you know, observational science. He's self-educated with his grandparents. You're a combination of all, I mean, all of y'all are kind of in the same model. What I, you know, have now been able to do within the Beef Initiative, and this is going to, you know, you and I have talked about it a little bit, with me going around the country right now and then, you know, leaving today, I'm going to be able to announce that, you know, within the, the beef initiative itself is that we have a now, a now base layer of value of one full Bitcoin. And you and I haven't even gotten into the education of Bitcoin yet. And we're getting there because we just launched our educational series for the North American rancher. So everybody go to the beefinitiative.com and sign up for your dang Bitcoin education. You need this now more than ever. And it's something that's going to sneak up on you let's get educated let's get you a new store of value but by saying that the beef initiative is now a bay a bitcoin company we have a base layer value of a bitcoin what that's going to be i'm going to do some crowdfunding when i'm on the road it's going to be like hey you know let's follow slim where's slim at today i'll be doing videos and everything the biggest intention for me to do what i'm doing is education one thing about education is we have to give a new avenue to a different type of education. So the Beef Initiative in Colorado during our conference, I'm going to be able to announce that we'll, in 2023, we're going to be able to give away our own type of scholarship program to people that are wanting to get into regenerative farming and ranching as you, Jason and Cole. And the first person, three people that are gonna have their names on those scholarships are gonna be the three ranchers that came into the Beef Initiative first. So there's gonna be a scholarship program that has Jason Rick of Rick Ranches in Colorado's name on it. There's gonna be Justin Trammell of Tear Bloom and Panhandle Meats. There's gonna be a scholarship that has Cole Bolton of KNC Cattle on it. And it's gonna be backed by Bitcoin the education will be facilitated by the ranchers within the beef initiative. This is how we fight the lack of education, the lack of desire to be educated by these younger generation. And they're going to understand that there is a pathway forward. What I see that scholarship program basically involving into is some form of internship programs that people can come to you. They can work with you. They can actually say, Hey, would you, teach me and you're going to say sure we're, we're going to do this in a scholarship form way we're going to be able to do an internship program you'll come out and work for me for a month but you're going to get educated white oak pastures does this joe salatin does it with polyface farms we're going to bring it up and we're going to step it up exactly how they've done it and we're going to improve it even more because we're going to be able to do it our way because we have a base layer of a Bitcoin that we'll be able to ask people, if you want to help out the beef initiative, if you want to help out the North American rancher, this is how you do it. Please donate into that fund. And that way we're going to facilitate this educational process, this lifestyle change, and be able to give the North American rancher a voice and they'll be able to tell their story. Therefore you have a scholarship, uh, that is unique to you, the rancher. And I think that that's one great way that we're going to be able to give the edgy, the, the, the rancher themselves a voice again. Cause I know a lot of times you felt that you didn't have a voice and you don't have a voice. And I think this is how we facilitate this. 
And by saying that, whenever you and I have a, a food summit, you know, here in the Texas Panhandle, then you'll be able to throughout this time, you'll be able to design it in the way that you want to be able to design your scholarship program. I think that's what's going to be extremely unique about this. And I think that a lot of people will start understanding of what we're doing is very grassroots education. And um, so what do you think about that? No, that sounds awesome. That sounds exactly kind of along the same spirit as the Ogallala Commons and everything else right. that I've been told of us. So, yeah, I think it, I think it's going to be a fun ride to see how it evolves out. Um, you know, I'm going to be working with Jason, you know, up until Colorado to do this, and uh, so you know, it's, it's it's a way to set a new standard. It's a way to really, you know, do some decentralized communication in a way that, you know, I don't think it's being done too much right now. Everything's a very institutional. Everything's very academic. It's not based on observational science. It's not uh, really based on true proof of work. Um, people, you know, the younger generations have been convinced that, you know, it's basically learning how to do what you do is done behind a computer. And that's just not the case. It, 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 it is getting out. It is, you know, being farm tough from here on out. And I think that we'll be able to bring a lot of uh, awareness to that. And, you know, that's what I'm very excited about because I know that we're losing a lot of the younger generation to, you know, they're not even paying attention to FFA anymore or 4-H. So we're going to kind of recreate it, you know, the way that we can within the beef initiative. So with that, let's talk about the current condition. We're in a drought in the state of Texas, uh, especially up here in the panhandle. How do you approach that? How do you look at your supply and your demand? You know, how do you look at this next 90 days, the cycle? Uh, well, just I, I'll keep doing what I've been doing. You know, I've got some sacrifice paddocks where I keep animals and I let them graze, bale graze. And actually, um, actually right beside me is one. Um, where they're grazing bales and the litter that's left behind stays on top of the ground. And so mm -hmm. while they're not doing anything initially, as soon as we get just a little bit of rain, that those areas that have that cover are going to be radically better off than areas without cover. Um, I've also gotten cover crops planted actually in my garden area and in a back pasture. And so I've been able to get those up and going. Um, the granted, I haven't been able to get a lot of it up and going because of it being a drought. You know, I've been irrigating with our wastewater about 10 to 15,000 gallons a week, probably every four days, really. And uh, I've been able to get about an 80 by 20 area to grow, but that's about mm -hmm. it. That's how dry it is out here. Yeah. And so that's it, it's the it's the kind of stuff where you just keep planning for the future, because right. if you get too engrossed in what's going on right now, it's. It, that ain't going to be productive at all. So, <laughs> no, it's not. And, you know, by saying that, we're running up on an hour here. Um, what I want to do is, is to establish some protocol. We've got your information that's been coming through on the ticker. If you're interested in basically moving forward with uh, kind of finding and being advised or getting more information on processing centers in the in this in the state of uh, Texas, especially, you know, let's let's go through the beef Let's go through and contact the beef initiative and not over and inundate Justin with a lot of questions and we'll facilitate it from there. If you have any questions about as far as, you know, what Justin is doing, as far as the processing, as far as meats, you know, if you want to, if you want to get some pure animal protein or anything else, more information on Panhandle Meats, on Tier Bloom, go ahead and hit those, uh, those uh, emails that Justin has provided to us. Um, beyond saying that, let's, let's let everybody know that we'll, you and I will be coming back and we're going to do a podcast on the protocol that you are as a, as a, as a grass farmer regenerative grass farmer and how you are moving forward, uh, obtaining more land, leasing more land, uh, storing more animals. Uh, we're going to do that. We're going to definitely formally do that. And we're also going to start our next conversation, our big one, our formal conversation is going to be all about processing centers, internships and scholarships. I think that's where we are. And I think you and I are ready for that. So is there anything else you'd like to tell everybody today during this lunchtime, Justin? Nope, that's about all I had. So pleasure to be here. So 
Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for taking the time. I know you're working your butt off. I know that you're 24 seven. Um, it's always good to see you. Um, I'm going to be in touch with you when I'm on the road, especially when I get to Tennessee and we're putting this uh, so-called manual together for processing centers. So you and I will be in touch and uh, thank you again for taking the time, Justin, much respect for everything that you do that you've done uh, for the community, uh, for, for basically the education here in the Texas panhandle. And uh, we talk to you soon okay thanks you bet. Uh-huh. all right take care here at the beef initiative we encourage all your ranchers out there to tell us who and where you are so we can let everybody know they're looking for you this time i'm shouting out knc cattle out of austin texas knccattle.com cole he's a fourth generational texas rancher he knows what he's doing